Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is the video teaching series, Houses of Worship, or what does the Bible say about houses and homes in the New Testament? Did they have any role? Was there any place in ministry for houses and homes in the New Testament? In the apostolic church, the original apostolic church? And we're investigating that. This is lesson 11. Lesson 10, we uh, read to you some verses from the earlier part of chapter 20 of Acts. And this lesson, we're going to read to you from uh, later verses in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons. Now, this Asia is not our Asia the way we think of Asia. We think of Asia as China, China and Southeast Asia and Japan, et cetera, et cetera. This is Asia, what's called Asia Minor, which is actually Turkey today. So, uh, and when, when, in verse 18 again, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia Minor, uh, or Asia, all seven churches of Revelations two and three are cities in what is or were what was uh, at that time Asia, but is now called Turkey. All seven are there. Uh, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has just given us a very brief synopsis summary, and that's kind of synonymous in its synopsis and summary statement of his ministry and how he conducted his ministry. And so he says, and I have taught you publicly and from house to house. That was Paul's ministry. He said, follow me as I follow Christ, which we will say again before this lesson's over with. So publicly and house to house, he testified both the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul was departing from Ephesus, he gave a general summary of his ministerial scenarios to the elders present to bid him farewell. So the elders came together to say farewell to Paul because he is now leaving Ephesus, and I don't believe there's any evidence he ever returned to Ephesus in his lifetime. So they came together to bid him farewell, and he is making these, this, these statements of farewell to them, and he's giving this summary of his ministerial uh, efforts and the scenarios in which he did that. Now, we know that when he says, I've taught you publicly 
he wasn't talking about a public house. (laughs) He wasn't talking about specifically in some structure. Now, he would teach in their synagogues. In fact, every city Paul went into, he would start with a synagogue and minister to the Jews until some believed and some rejected him, and then he would go to the Gentiles. It's the only evidence of any religious structure that Paul ever ministered in. There's no evidence Paul ever ministered in the temple at Jerusalem. So the only religious edifices that Paul ever ministered in were the, were the edifices owned and occupied by the former people of God. <laughs> the people that were the people of God before 6 o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost. Those who are clinging to the Old Testament and won't come into the New. He always started with them. Just like Jesus always went to the back, the, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Even though Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, he always started with the Jews. But that's the only evidence we have of a religious structure where the one true and living God was worshiped that Paul ever ministered in. So his public ministry, uh, that were his Description of that was a lot of different places outside. Not saying he never ministered in other structures that weren't houses and that could be considered public. We know he ministered in chapter 26 uh, in the uh, throne room area. I guess that was in Caesarea, if I remember correctly. He ministered there. He ministered to the king with all the attendants around, and that was ministry. So it was a building. It was it wasn't a house, but it was uh, a structure. It just wasn't a structure where the one true and living God is worshipped. So this is apostolic. Now again, I've said it many times, and you, you're probably sick of it. You're going to get more sick of it because people have perverted what I say. They take it that I mean, say, I'm saying something that I've never said. You will never hear me actually say. And I'm not implying, not implying that we should sell our buildings. I'm not implying that we should quit gathering in our structures. But I am saying biblically, that cannot be the focus of everything that we do as a church. It cannot be biblically. And it's not biblical to make church services and inviting sinners to come to church our only or our most prime method for reaching the lost with the gospel. Is it wrong for a sinner to come to our services? No. Is it wrong to preach to them up there? There. No. Is it wrong for them to get baptized and get the Holy Ghost? No. But what's wrong is when that is the number one method of what we're doing. Oh, I, whew, I felt that. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I said it's wrong. And uh, I got Bible to back it up. In fact, this whole series is about Bible to back up. The fact that the early church knew nothing, nothing of what we do. Nothing. 
They had no familiarity with what we do and how we do it. None. So what we're doing and how we're doing is not wrong as long as we're fulfilling everything else that the Word of God says the church is supposed to be and do, including to go out into the field, and Jesus said the field is the world, and be laborers in the field. As long as the church, all the saved people, are out in his field. It's not wrong to have a building and gather. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to minister there, minister to one another there. It's not wrong to pray there. It's not wrong. As long as that doesn't become either all we do or the main focus of all we do. Because we're not allowed to charge admission to those that need to hear the gospel so they can be saved. We don't charge admission. Oh, yeah, we do. The admission is we require them to come to our building, come into our building, and hear us preach from our pulpit and pray through in our altars and get baptized in that baptistry, essentially. In practice, we, we, we require that. That's the admission to heaven. We require admission for them to go to heaven. In fact, a lot of pastors don't even trust ministry that could go on in homes. Well, well, people do this and people do that. Yeah, and God does this and God does that. And the word of God says that that's supposed to happen. So if you're going to quote me, you quote me as saying, that biblically, we have a right to gather. And where we gather, that's between us and God. But we have no right to make that the, the church and the expression of the church and the obedience of the church to the word of God and to ignore all this other. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. These were herbs and they were such small seeds and tiny things and it in other words, they bragged about how meticulous they were in paying tithes. And Jesus said, you pay tithes of mint, anise, and cumin, and omit the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and truth, I think it is, peace, righteousness, whatever it is. I don't remember exactly. He said, these ought you to have done, meaning, yes, you should have paid tithes of mint, anise, and cumin, but not to have left the other undone. <clears throat> So gathering together is not a problem. Praying together is not a problem. Having a, a facility where we can do that is not a problem. As long as we're not omitting and ignoring and not practicing fully everything else the church is supposed to be and do. But do we? Again, as Paul was departing from Ephesus, he gave a general summary of his many ministerial scenarios to the elders present to bid him farewell. He declared to them on many occasions over the years that he had taught them both publicly and from house to house. The implication of Paul's summary is that these houses were his normal venues of ministry. And to further demonstrate that, obviously Paul also ministered outside of buildings 
For instance, Acts 17, 16, and 17. Now, while, while Paul waited for them, uh, his co-workers at, Ephesus, at Athens, his spirit was stirred within in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, with the devout persons, and in the market daily, and in the market daily. So he went to the synagogue to talk to the Jews and other devout persons, non-Jews who were proselytes who participated with the Jews, believing in the one true and living God. But he also ministered in the market daily with them that met him. So he didn't just minister in houses. He ministered in the religious structure of the Jews where he met with as much rejection as he does as he did acceptance and faith, which what's new about that, right? The word of the Lord meets with as much rejection in the house of God, we call the church building today, as the world does. In fact, sometimes the rejection in the church building is more vindictive than the rejection of the sinner. Why? Because it was the traditional religious traditionalist that spearheaded the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's always religious tradition that crucifies those that are standing for truth, biblical truth, always. Always has been, always will be. The world doesn't have as much invested in rejecting truth as the religious traditionalist does because that person preaching truth is actually undermining all of the foundation that the religious traditionalist has used to build his little house on sand. And so the word of God reveals that sand not rock, and the religious traditionalist hates it, hates the person that's the messenger of that word. So Paul went to the synagogues, and he preached both to the Jews and the Jewish proselytes in those synagogues wherever he went. But he also preached in the market daily. And then we also know from all these other scriptures that he ministered from house to house, which he said in that earlier reading in this lesson. Obviously, Paul ministered outside of buildings, outside of buildings, but that was usually for the purpose of evangelism. It would appear as though he taught in houses most of the time. He did his discipling in houses, and he preached publicly for evangelism. Now, not always. I'm sure he did some teaching outdoors, and I'm also sure he did some preaching evangelistically inside of a house. But I'm talking about the normal pattern of his ministry. Again, it can be argued that he considered preaching in synagogues part of his public or outside of houses ministries. Paul's ministry in every city, as I've said before in these lessons, 
started in the synagogues in order to give the Jews the first opportunity to be saved. They were his people, after all. They also were the Old Testament believers who are still clinging to the Old Testament and not moving into the new that God promised them first and foremost. Joel is the one that expanded the old the, the, the promise of the new covenant from the Jews to all flesh. Primarily, there are other places that would seem to do that, but Joel did it the most uh, emphatically when he said it, and it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. But even, even the Jews who were in the church in the book of Acts didn't really believe that because they called Peter on the carpet and may, required him to explain himself why he went to Cornelius's household. So even those who were now in the new covenant, still clinging to vestiges of the old covenant, had a problem with the promise of the new covenant being extended and expanded beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. Again, Paul's ministry in every city started in synagogues in order to give the Jews the first opportunity to be saved. It cannot be even remotely considered that Paul ever went to any synagogue for the purpose of using that facility to establish a church in that specific city. There is no evidence whatsoever, even implied evidence, that Paul preached in the synagogues for the purpose of expecting everyone in that synagogue to be converted and them now make that the church's building. There's no evidence whatsoever of that. And as one of the earlier lessons, he was in one city, I forget which one it was, and he was preaching in the synagogue. They rejected him. He shook his garment as he was shook, sh- sh- figuratively shaking the dust off his feet, and uh, he went to the house next door, Justice, Justice's house, that was built hard against the synagogue, probably shared the same wall. So, again, it cannot even remotely it cannot be even remotely considered that Paul ever went to a, any synagogue in any city for the purpose of using that facility to establish a church in that specific city. So Paul said again, follow me as I follow Christ. And he said, I preached publicly and from house to house. That was his pattern. And he reminded the elders at Ephesus Ephesus, that that was his pattern, that that's how he ministered. Those That was the focus, the two scenarios he focused on. So when he ministered in structures, the great, great, great majority of the time, it was in a house, somebody's house. Again, Paul commanded us to be followers of him even as he followed Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. In that verse, when he said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, the Greek word there for follower is imitator. Imitator. What does an imitator mean to us today? Not somebody that's just basically going along with what a person, another person does. 
But an imitator is someone who is trying to be exactly like that person, trying to do exactly what they did, look exactly like they look, so to speak, have their priorities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Paul is trying to imitate Christ, he said, and he's telling us to imitate him like he imitates Christ. And isn't that ultimately what God expects for every man and woman of God, those that are gifted with responsibility and authority to lead the body of Christ in some capacity? Isn't that what we're all supposed to be? Is an imitator of Christ so we can be an example of what an imitator of Christ should be? Shouldn't that be the case? Paul's manner of speaking plainly communicates that imitating him is not an option. It is a command. He said, be ye followers or imitators of me. That is in the imperative tense of command. The verb is. So what what are we going to do about that? How are we going to do that? Are we going to stay mired in our tradition? Are we going to let our buildings be sending points, not collection points? Are they going to be houses for sending out laborers from? Or are they going to be points where we collect people up? What's it going to be? How are we going to do this? Well, I say this to you today, my friend, my brother, my sister. God is determined that this church, his church in this hour becomes biblically apostolic and he will withhold nothing in our lives individually and our homes individually and specifically in our local churches and in the church at large and in our world There's nothing off limits from him to use as a tool to get our attention and listen to him and his call to us to repent. In Jesus' name, I pray that you and I would be able to receive from him today, that we be able to obey him, that we would be able to have our eyes opened that we might be able to see his word from his perspective. My opinion of what the church is supposed to be like is irrelevant. Only his opinion counts. The opinion of my pastor, the opinion of my elders, the opinion of my fathers of what the church is supposed to be like is irrelevant. There's only one opinion that matters, not mine, not our elders, not our forefathers, not our leaders. There's only one opinion that matters of what the church should be and how the church should be and what the church should do. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's told us his opinion through the men of God and himself in the word of God. So which one of those two sources is going to have the priority in your life. Us and our opinions or God and his opinion. 
Which way is it going to be? Well, if it if this was a minor decision, if this was a minor option, okay, no big deal. You know, we're all right. It's okay. But it's not minor. Because if our structure and our concept of church, which we cannot find in the Bible, is hindering even one soul from being saved, then we're accountable for that. One soul that should have been preached to out there or in their home that we don't preach to because we can't get them to come to be in our midst. One soul that goes to hell like that, and we're accountable. We are accountable before God for that. In Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I loose the spirit of grace upon you and me, that the spirit of grace would empower us both, first of all, to will to do his will and not our own, and second of all, to empower us to do what he wills so that we might please him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so. Amen. God bless you.